is this cutting out the banks? Is this uh, hampering where deposits are moving from bank accounts into the Libra reserve? Like from what I've heard from all of the bankers I've talked to in the last two weeks is they basically have said they're shitting themselves. We are here in the 11FS office in London for episode 102 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. Today we bring you Libra, Libra and more Libra. Bank of England's Mark Carney does a bit of a positive on DLT and, well, Bitcoin futures, crypto and everything that's happening in the world of DLT as well. So hot right now. All this and more on today's Blockchain Insider. I'm your host, Simon Taylor, and joining me is the returning Colin G. Platt. Colin G. Platt, how was your holiday? You went from the field, you went to the beach. How was it? Uh, it wasn't actually a holiday, per se. Uh, I had family visiting in town, so that, that kept me busy. I mean, yeah, it's one of those where it's time away from what you would normally be doing in a place that others would consider a holiday, but you're, you're managing people. Exactly. I know those. <laughs> um, so has Libra been good for PTK? Everything is good for PTK. Is that even a question? Yeah, that's true. Number go up. We, we launched another version of it on Bitcoin Cash this week. Really? Uh, what does the new version do? What, what are the new features? Um, well, it crashes my computer so far. Okay. So for, for listeners who aren't aware, of course, uh, PTK Pitch Token Classic is uh, the, uh, I guess, the coin that Colin created that has made him the richest man in the world. And uh, you can find all about that on his blog. But um, enough about PTK. Let's get on with the news. Um, where else would we begin but with Libra? We, we discussed it last week when the news broke. Um, and it's pretty much been all crypto Twitter's been talking about. Uh, but it seems to have crossed into the mainstream. This has been covered on everything from the Wall Street Journal to you know, major banks talking about it in their, their webinars and, and whatever else. So um, I guess I wanted to start with... Um, some of the some of the responses uh, that we've seen in the past week, Colin. First story we got comes from CoinDesk, and uh, the headline reads, "I don't trust Facebook with anything." Um, so the U.S. politicians are piling in. Uh, Maxine Waters, who is the House Financial Services Committee chairwoman, uh, has been asking Facebook to stop the project until Congress can understand it further. And several commentators have been quite a bit more positive. Um, what do you think about the regulatory response in the U.S.? Um, let's start there. In the U.S., um, I, I thought it was, okay, so I, I guess taking a step back, globally, um, regardless of whether Libra fails or or, or succeeds, th- th- my commentary isn't really on that fact. I mean, I, I we can get into that in a minute. But I think that this is massively positive that people are actually sitting up and taking note. Um, like, We've all been in boardrooms or we've been in meetings where somebody says something at at the CEO level saying, you know, we're going to do this thing and then nothing happens. Here we've got the Senate, the Congress standing up in the United States saying, yeah, we need to figure this thing out. Um, I, I do find it a bit ironic if they say that Facebook needs to stop until they can understand it because that's probably going to take them fucking years. But, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, I think that's the challenge, isn't it? It's it's a very rare statement that you hear. Stop until we understand this better. Like that's a, that's a a heck of a, a statement. But it's interesting as well that I think how much of that is the context of Facebook's more general challenges uh, in the whole sort of fake news controversy that they have and the challenges they've had with with the U.S. Uh, regulators on you know are they a publisher? Do they have a sense of responsibility in in how how uh, how they're managing you know customers' data and so on. 
Yeah, and and I think the other the other thing to kind of put this in context is, is Facebook is definitely a driving force behind Libra, but it isn't Facebooks, and I think that that's something that's quickly overlooked by politicians and, and commentators on it. It is, yeah, there there are a lot of strong ties, and they probably have more than one percent of the vote in reality. Um, but it's definitely not 100%. And it's probably not even 50%. Um, I, I guess as designed, as intended, but who's doing all of the work and has all of the resources working on it right now? And I guess um, there's there's going to be an understanding curve that happens here, especially if this caught you. you know, to, For those of us in the world of crypto and DLT, this was not a surprise. This was kind of like the most leaked story of the past year and a half, like Facebook were working on a thing. But if you were not in that world and then suddenly surprise, Facebook's working on a coin and uh, set against the context of all of the other challenges with big techs and um, so-called fake news, you, could you see how this could catch somebody on the hop, um, especially when you know, uh, FATF and the whole space around sort of uh, preventing money laundering and terrorist financing uh, has been really, really hot in the past sort of couple of months about getting global collaboration, clamping down on the illicit use of cryptocurrency, and then maybe suddenly 2 billion people have crypto uh, cryptocurrency. Could you see where the fear came from, maybe? Oh, totally. And and I think if they're effective at, at clamping down on uh, all that stuff in cryptocurrency, there won't be much left, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so then I guess the the other side of the take here in the US has been, you know, some, some of the commentators, you know, Jim Cramer from CNBC um, has sort of said the, that uh, the disenfranchised will welcome Mark Zuckerberg as a savior. Um, like, wh- what do you think the, the response has been on Main Street and in Wall Street for this one? Uh, I, I think that's the wrong question. Um, where is the future of this? I, I don't think it's on Main Street. It's not. In the, it's not in the United States. It's not in Western Europe. It's not in Japan. the The target market for this thing is Southeast Asia, East Asia, uh, and South America, and those types of places. Maybe Africa to a certain extent. Um, people have a hard time keeping balances in foreign currencies, keeping balances and moving them around when they want to move them around. And these are people that are generally quite wealthy or at least high middle income in those countries. Um, Being able to put $1,000 or $10,000 or maybe more into uh, a currency that you can move around the world that you're relatively certain is backed is a hell of a lot better than your alternative, which is Tether. Um, And a lot of people keep millions of dollars in Tether for that reason in those countries. And I guess there's uh, there's there's a long tail here of of there's the 1.7 billion unbanked people, of which about a billion people have access to a mobile phone. This is the the, the Libra argument that goes. But how do you get money in could, and out of that? I mean, yes, but well, how do you get money into it? I, I, yeah, I mean, it, mobile airtime. Uh, you had a I had a way in and out, right? You had uh, I could take cash to an agent, and I had my cash in, cash out agents. Could and uh, there was a really interesting startup called Abra. If you remember those mm-hmm. guys, they were trying to be Airbnb for cash in, cash out, or like Uber for cash in, cash out. This mobile cash in, cash out sort of th- service. But that last mile problem is phenomenal. Like, who are the people on the ground that are going to actually make this stuff work in the hardest, uh, most uh, far-flung uh, parts of the world, you know, in the hardest places to reach. Well, I mean, they have. This is why I'm saying Facebook isn't isn't 100 percent of the equation. Like they have a lot of partners in there. I mean, naturally, in anything else, what's your cash in, cash out? Is your Western unions and MoneyGrams? So you go in central London, you say, I need to send a thousand pounds to somebody in Sudan. I pick Sudan not because of Sudan or any reason, but somebody outside of the big cities will be able to actually hand whoever you sent that 
thousand pounds after fees into a local currency into somebody's hand in cash or a local bank account. That that's a massive infrastructure, and that's where those seven to ten percent fees come in. If you look at the global FinDEX database, you'll um, the when the uh, World Bank and the IMF have looked at what's what's holding back financial inclusion, uh, a lot of it is around the lack of documentary evidence of identity. So people born and live their whole lives a long way away from anywhere that they need or have a passport. So they can't go to a bank branch and go through KYC in the traditional senses. And mobile money solved for this by simply uh, relaxing some of those requirements below a certain threshold and then bringing those requirements back as somebody became more prosperous. Uh, but then there's also uh, f- basic financial literacy and and kind of uh, the, the prohibitive costs of remittance services. And I think that's kind of a big one in that if, if I'm losing a large percentage of the money I'm moving around because I'm only moving a very small amount around, then suddenly, you know, if I'm moving, uh, if I have a twenty percent fee on five dollars, it feels it feels phenomenally large. If if that's you know kind of like uh, two days wage, three days wage kind of thing, so the, that can make a real impact at, at the, the last mile. So what could you do that would be free at the point of use? Well, I mean, absolutely. I mean, to me, the obvious kind of first markets again, Southeast Asia. You go to Fiverr. Uh, why are you not paying somebody in the Philippines who's already tech literate and already connected to the internet uh, to use Libra to do your Fiverr job or whatever it is. But I mean, keep in mind, like these countries where you've got that 20% charge, uh, I'm pulling up something in front of me, Afghanistan, one gigabyte of mobile data is four and a half percent of their annual uh, income. Like, are you are you really saying that, yeah, okay, we're going to cut out uh, your 20% charge on your, your $20 transfer, if you're, you're then going to have to go out and spend 10 times that just to receive the data? <laughs> yeah, I think there are some some significant challenges for for Libra. Um, uh, the the lofty goal of lifting you know, people into the uh, internet population definitely does need need that help with the last mile. I I hadn't considered the sort of the Philippines Fiverr example. This sort of swift for everybody else, sort of not going through the the banking system and and kind of not going through some of the intermediaries, but kind of being more direct peer to peer is an interesting place to to kind of look at. Yeah, I mean that's where I'll be paying attention is the the Singapore to those or Hong Kong or or uh, wealthy places that are sending it to less wealthy nearby places with lots of immigrants. Uh, so what do you think about the, the sort of the European response here? Because um, you know, central bankers had a mixed reaction. Um, there was a German MEP who said that Facebook could become a shadow bank. Um, but Mark Carney was a bit more considered. Um, he said he wants the Bank of England to take a bit of a lead in this space and said if Libra achieves its ambitions, it would become systemically important as, what, as such. It would have to meet the high standards of prudential regulation and consumer protection. Um, it must address um, rain, issues ranging from anti-money laundering to data protection to operational resilience. It must also be pro-competitive, open platform that users can join on equal terms. In addition, authorities will need to consider carefully the implications of Libra for monetary and financial stability. You know, kind of like, it's it's uh, that uh, open open door but not open something that they, they were saying. It was really interesting sort of considered response, but there are a whole swathe of European responses here. Um, what was the French response? The, the French response was very clearly that uh, Facebook was in no place ever going to create their own sovereign currency. And bear in mind, like, we can laugh and go, ha-ha, France. Uh, France is currently the president of the G7. And G7 is the, the industry that all, the industry, the organization that also spun up FATF. 
um, which has what 30, 40 countries signed up to say, look, we're going to all abide by these rules. Um, so I would guess that what they say still has a ton of sway. By the way, let's remember that I think effective next week uh, from when we release this, um, the, Ch the Chinese delegate will take over at FATF as the new president. And one of his main focus areas is virtual currencies and, and cybersecurity and risk. Um, how would you like the idea of the Chinese being the ones that are setting up the, the rules in the 12 months that Libra is trying to come to market? So it's not just the French, it's the Chinese, it's the Germans, it's everything else. So yes, it's great for Mark Carney to come in and say, yes, I'm going to be considered. If you read it, he sets a really, really high bar. He essentially says, right, you're going to need to be as good, if not better than Barclays, um, but on a global scale. So yes, it sounds great, but pro-competitive open platform, does it really sound like that? I don't know that it does, if you really kind of push it out to achieve the ambitions it wants to achieve. I think what's, what's interesting is how... Uh, how open-minded Mark Carney manages to sound whilst also setting a really incredibly sort of difficult to hit uh, high bar and optically how, how that comes across as as being something inclusive but actually you know the, the content of what he said there is is still like Libra is a ways off of being that I think possibly even by their own admission you know they, they don't say this thing's finished they say it's 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 got a long way to go uh, but 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 also they also intend to launch something in 2020, and and that time horizon seems, you know, given what Mark Khan is saying, for it to be used and accepted, uh, it kind of more broadly as a, as a payment system of systemic importance. There's a long way to go between where it is and, and that. But if it's uh, if its primary use case is is not in developed in Western markets that have you know kind of payments infrastructure already and it's somewhere else, maybe that's less of a problem. Well, perhaps. But here's the kicker. I mean, all of the money that underlies the Libra Reserve is going to be held in banks in the eurozone, in sterling. Obviously, we know where that's going to be. U.S. dollars. Um, and each one of these jurisdictions, to a certain extent or greater or lesser extent, will probably exert some kind of their um, extraterritorial protections on top of it. What happens if the Germans and the French say, look, we're not happy with how you're doing this. Um, we're going to ask the ECB to shut down any bank account associated with Libra or um, to redeem any bond that you've pulled into this Libra uh, reserve in, in Geneva. And step back, talk about the Libra Reserve in Geneva. Just kind of remind everybody what that is, because we didn't discuss that too much on, on the last episode. Yeah, so there's an association that everybody bought into. Um, and to my understanding, and things are still quite vague, which is why I think 2020 is very, very ambitious. I think 2025 is probably more realistic for any kind of rollout. Um, to say, all right, these 100 organizations come together. There's a separate entity, which you can think of like, a, like an investment fund, called the Libra Reserve. Um, my understanding is the association, to a certain extent, manages this reserve. Uh, thus, it somehow falls under the organization of this Geneva-based association, which a lot of the US lawmakers have come out and said that's a problem for them. Um, but ultimately, that, that entity is controlling all of the users' funds that backs Libra, which means it's controlling all the bank accounts, all the short-term bonds, treasuries, everything this thing's got underneath it, that in theory should give it value. And once that Libra reserve is there, there's a question about, so what's in that reserve and how much of uh, what's in that reserve is governed by people already like sterling, like the euro? Um, and what rules do you have to follow if you suddenly start operating an entity that's holding those those assets? At, at a bare minimum, at a bare minimum, you're going to be talking about something in Europe or, or globally equivalent to any money license. Um, the question is, who gets it? Is it all 100 members? 
Is it everybody that builds on top of it as well? Is it uh, just the the Libra Reserve uh, management agent? Can they elect somebody to do that? Um, do you have to register then as a money transmission service uh, in the United States? They've already indicated that they think they do at some level, but only at the wallets. Uh, the French came out, I believe today, as we're recording this on Tuesday, and said um, that they think that Libra, the association and the reserve, will need to register, possibly as a bank. Um, and if you do, I mean, I, I just don't see the economics coming together. Well, and also, if you have to register as a bank, that's not going to be done by next year. Um, you could buy a bank, but even then, um, how do you buy a bank and get uh, th these these at least 20, if not 100 organizations involved. And when you look at some of the names of the organizations involved, you know, we're talking about eBay, Uber, Spotify, Lyft, Visa, MasterCard, PayPal, Stripe, Vodafone, uh, Andreessen Horowitz. Um, with, with very few exceptions, a lot of these are kind of Western market focused big techs or VCs. You know, there's there's Kiva and Mercy Corp and um, the uh, kind of... Uh, or women's world banking, that there are some exceptions there that will probably start to help you with the last mile and, and some kind of inclusivity. Uh, but it, it seems to me like this is kind of being pulled in five or six different directions at the moment. And the oversight picture is unclear for like who the ultimate uh, customer of this is. It's almost like there's the building, the infrastructure story, and then there's the, the partners story. The partners seem very Western focused with a few exceptions. Mm. I, and I, I think that they're Western focused, but they understand where Facebook's markets are and where this could be useful. And it's probably not in Western markets, as, as we've said. Um, but I mean, I think more to the point is like, it's great to talk about the technology side of fintech and all that. Um, but when you start talking about the financial side of fintech at this scale, or even at a fraction of this scale, you've got some really serious financial implications that could bring down the financial system if it's not done right. I mean, effectively, you're creating a euro dollar which central bank wants to implicitly or explicitly say, yeah, we're going to back to Libra. And if you're going to put it all on these four central banks to do business that's mostly outside of their jurisdiction, they're going to have a real strong discussion about what they're going to want to see. And they're probably going to want to see a lot of this money held in a central bank. Libra may be cool with that. Like, I, I, I've got no view on that. But um, at the end of the day, that's really going to change the financial proposition of running this thing. And I just don't think that the people that set this up really understood that. But why should they? Look at their backgrounds. That's not where they come from. And I think that's an interesting point. Explore that some more because I think there's um, what what I saw from the central bankers' response. They 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 definitely didn't come out as strong against this as some of the politicians seem to. The the political backlash against Facebook, the the entity that has you know kind of some political drama, it was very very different to the central bankers who sounded a lot more measured. How much of that do you think was central bankers um, just believing that? Look, it's unlikely that you're going to do anything anytime soon. And even if you did, the reality is you'll need our input and support to get there. Well, I mean, uh, our next story in here we've got from The Guardian, right? This is the BIS. So this is the central bankers, central bank, essentially. And, and the title in this thing is poses risk to global banking. I mean, this is, this is euro dollars, right? It's got a new denomination, but this is exactly what created the financial crisis uh, that originally spawned out of the United States in 2008, 2009. And we're talking about doing this on potentially a scale that's at the retail level. Um, what's going to happen when you start having these things out there? You're going to want people redeeming to and from against it, um, trying to get the underlying out of Libra or trying to put new underlying in there. What happens if you had a liquidity crunch? Do they just say, sorry, we can't redeem on this anymore? And then what happens to the value of all the Libra if you start not redeeming? Um, what happens if all of this stuff gets lost 
um, or you start putting it into bonds that uh, go haywire or fall off the run and, and you just can't get liquidity on them. What do you do? Do we just shove everything and leave the liquid assets in there, pull out the liquid assets and the last people in there holding the bag? I mean, you've got a bank run. Maybe it's not the same as like a fractional reserve bank, but you could still have a liquidity run. And we've seen that in hedge funds. We've seen them blow up. We definitely have. Do we really want to see that here? I, I think the, the <laughs> interesting thing about technologists is they tend to build for happy path. And the interesting thing about bankers is they tend to manage risk and think about risk reward as, as a balance. And the a lot of the mechanics for this stuff have been done with different names elsewhere. And uh, this, it, it feels like, again, I think it's to be fair to Facebook, they would, they would freely admit that this is something they're still looking to collaborate and understand and build. Um, they seem to have had um, a proactive approach to at least central bankers to say, we want to do this for these reasons, please, please help us. But do you think there's any real threat of Libra replacing central bank currencies anytime soon? Or do you think that the bankers perceive there to be, the central bankers perceive there to be any real threat? I think that that's been commented mostly from politicians, but um, uh, Ferber and um, uh, I believe it was de Gallo in France have, have mentioned it uh, as potentially being an issue. I don't, I don't see that happening uh, from this STR-like basket. Sorry, SDR-like basket. Um, but it's definitely possible, especially in smaller economies that have smaller currencies, that you could see some displacement and that could start to mess with your economies locally. The question is, you know, if this thing starts becoming really active in, I don't know, uh, Vietnam, what happens to Vietnam's ability to collect taxes on business that happens inside of this thing? It might go down, in which case, you know, Vietnam might be a, need a bailout just because people are using Facebook money instead of using Vietnam, Vietnamese dongs. Like, is that really uh, the legacy that Facebook wants to leave from this? From something that's you know trying to save people a couple of cents here or there? Ah, consequences. They get in the way of all of the fun, don't they? Uh, you know, we've seen this time and time again in the financial markets. So uh, what about um, banks themselves? Um, you know, is, if, if consumers did start to adopt Libra in any real way, if, if suddenly this thing became available in WhatsApp and Instagram and it just became a really easy way to move money between my friends as sort of a, a, a network token rather, and it felt like I was moving dollars around. Is this cutting out the banks? Is this uh, hampering where deposits are moving from bank accounts into the Libra reserve? Do, do I create a run on commercial banks as if suddenly everybody wants to hold Libra reserve instead of um, you know, almost the equivalent of, of uh, accessing central bank money? Is, is the credit risk of the Libra reserve to the consumer better than their own bank? I mean, I, I guess to get to all those, you really need to have the assumption that this is going to take off and move to scale. Um, but I still think it's fair to say, like from what I've heard from all of the bankers I've talked to in the last two weeks, is they basically have said they're shitting themselves. Um, somebody's moving. Uh, everybody we talk to is, is saying this is moving. Um, you know, it may go up to 100 and deliver everything that they want to deliver. I doubt it. It may only go to one and it may launch and it may do something small, which doesn't really matter, but does have those knock-on effects. Um, but it, at the same time, if it does nothing else, it shows banks that are trying to innovate in here. Wow, there is somebody that could actually do this. And it may not be Libra, but Facebook may still say, look, we've got a desire to try to create our own way to do payments that moves outside of the banking system or outside of MasterCard and Visa. Granted, they are in this, this alliance uh, that could seriously threaten revenues. I think on the investment banking side, they're probably loving the idea that they can sell a bunch of bonds and, and into this thing. But, you know, uh, to each their own. <laughs> 
This episode is brought to you by R3. Uh, developed by R3, Corda is uh, apparently light years ahead of other blockchain platforms. And in terms of privacy, security, scalability, and interoperability, it's been built directly for those. Um, and it was also built to meet the stringent requirements of highly regulated industries, in particular financial services. And it can be used by firms of any type, size, in any industry. With Corda, every business in every industry can leverage the power of blockchain. Uh, a free trial of Corda Enterprise is now available at r3.com. Head over, check it out. And I mean it, they've just given the website a fresh, fresh look. So do check out r3.com. All right, on with the show. Um, Colin, what does Libra mean for the world of uh, crypto? Bitcoin hit $11,000 this week. Like, um, is is this just um, Main Street coming back? Is this just interest again? Like, how do I get exposure to the Libra news? Like, a, a banker's getting excited. What's happening? More buyers than sellers. <laughs> Bitcoin goes up. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, nobody knows, right? Like, everybody makes their own decision of whether they're buying or selling these things, and we're certainly not giving advice on any of that. Um, but it, it has been interesting to see that institutional numbers seem to be a driving force. Somebody was putting out a, a tweet about uh, comparing Google searches for buy Bitcoin versus the price, and it's, it's definitely lagged behind the 2017 run-up. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, at the same time, we see like the CME futures are starting to actually get real traction, uh, which is cool. Well, that, that was the story yeah. here from Reuters, wasn't it? Uh, like Reuters say, is Bitcoin growing up? The regulator's futures market uh, is uh, booming as investors seek a safer ride. So um, it seems to be, though, that the, the spot market has seen a lot of, has probably seen even more volume increase. Like, where would you say the volume increase has been, like, you know, against the, uh, so there's the Google searches and kind of consumer interest, there's volume increases. Does that suggest it's more institutional, especially if the futures markets are going up? I mean, the the thing that I guess I'd be watching is um, what's happening inside these exchanges and seeing the volumes on exchanges, uh, which are more uh, skewed towards retail. Um, not solely, but more skewed towards retail because a lot of the matching is done by OTC brokers nowadays uh, or inside these CME things. So watching the volumes on CME, CME and watching the price rise versus previous volumes in, on a Bitcoin for Bitcoin basis or whatever other cryptocurrency you're looking at. Um, the other thing that, I, that I've, I've been tracking for a while is um, Bitcoin seems to be doing the, better than the other cryptocurrencies recently. Um, perhaps that's another sign that if there is institutional activity, it's happening more so in Bitcoin than it is elsewhere. Whereas the other ones, I mean, we saw those 10x gains in, in a day or a week in relatively unknown cryptocurrencies. And we haven't seen that to the same extent quite yet. Yeah, and I think it's interesting you say yet, because uh, when in the last boom cycle, we saw this uh, weird cycle of the top 10 currencies go up and then they flatten out and then the alts jump and then you have this cycle of them jumping back and forth. It was almost like Bitcoin and the top 10 currencies are the gateway drug into or the access point into the, the lower end of the market. So you know, will we see that again? We haven't seen it yet. It, it's hard to say what's happening in crypto. Um, but you know, the, that sort of... Um, whole space what do you think of the the reactions from the world of you know kind of the 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 crypto enthusiasts to libra because i've seen a, a real spectrum of those responses w what do you think it has meant for them you know i think at the end of the day whether it really means anything is is very difficult to to say i mean we, we talked earlier in the, the previous segment i still think it's a long way off um i think in time 
there's a potential where you say, well, if money just gets easier to move, it also gets easier to move in and out of Bitcoin. Uh, the question is whether more money goes into Bitcoin or more money comes out of Bitcoin is hard to say. Um, but I, I think that uh, at least to a certain extent, um, the markets are probably speculative on it, but the, the ultimate outcome is probably fairly neutral, in my opinion. Interesting. The, um, there's a conversation as well about um, Libra is currently permissioned but intends to go permissionless. Is that big tech starting to validate the idea that these networks need to be permissionless in time? I mean, bear in mind the companies that are leading the charge in this tend to be companies that are more familiar with an open internet than the companies that are working to build more traditional enterprise DLT solutions. Um, I, I think this also comes up to the rub of the previous discussion we had about how the financial system works um, and the reason why it is more permissioned, uh, perhaps, in the Internet. Um, but I, I would be very surprised if Facebook and the, the rest of the gang in Libra came out and said, hey, we want to run an absolutely closed uh, loot permission, uh, permission system, uh, a la you know, PayPal rebooted. Uh, that happens to use some form of a DLT, I'd be really, really surprised. Um, but I also don't think that that would ever take off. So I think that at this point, you kind of need to play the game uh, that if you are not of the financial system, you can't try to recreate a new version of the financial system without at least letting people think that you care about being open. Um, I know a lot of people, especially in the Ethereum community, were quite negative towards it because it's not open yet. Um, Bitcoiners... I mean, they're negative about anything that isn't Bitcoin. Um, but on the grand scheme of things, I think we're less negative about this. Perhaps it's less threatening to what they're doing. Interesting. I guess as well, people tend to see permissioned versus permissionless as an or rather than an and. Um, could you imagine a world in which you have sort of a, a permissioned reserve and or sort of um, kind of I'm thinking about uh, how DNS works on the internet, right? There are only so many points of control, but you decentralize it. Uh, well, you, you distribute it. You don't decentralize it. So you have this distributed but permissioned sort of core of an architecture um, that is run and governed by a foundation that can interoperate with human governance. And then beneath that, there's an element of permissionless access to to the access points because the the, the reality of how the internet grew up is that it, it did start with foundations and it did start with um, you know, distributing certain things around certain organizations, but there are still, there's an element of centralization to the internet, which some people see as weakness, but some people see as key to its success and the ability to actually manage humans and make change to the internet. I, I think that there's definitely a spectrum on decentralization. Um, I, I think that it's more black and white if you start talking about censorship resistance. Um, and, and currently, I mean, the way the internet is set up, yes, there are places that block it, but there are, if you're tech savvy, you can get around it. And so the question I have here is, are, is money in something like a Libra or whatever else going to be set up in a way where it can be like Bitcoin and you could go to Coinbase and they could delete your account and block your transactions, but you could also use a Bitcoin wallet where they can't do that. Um, they've, said that they have some intentions to do that, but there's lots of questions around how they're actually building that and what that might mean, considering they have real assets behind that. And the real risk of, of some of that or all of that money getting seized if there's money laundering done out in the open, I, I don't know how well that will hold water. And that's kind of you know the Liberty Reserve that predated Bitcoin. That's ultimately how it got taken down. There was gold that was physically held and, and they weren't registered as a money transmitter and they were doing money laundering. So uh, the US government came and seized it in, in Panama, if I'm not mistaken. 
Well, I, it's, it, the, the debate about how it's going to impact crypto is going to run and run and run. Um, it, we've got a few things coming up as well. On July the 22nd, uh, ICE and BACS apparently are going to be offering their futures as well. Um, so there's, there's going to be uh, a lot more as this story develops. Um, but kind of moving away from the world of crypto, what about enterprise DLT stuff? Because we, um, you know, we've seen a slew of announcements in the past week. Um, I'm just going to kind of read them all out and then we'll jump into them one by one and then kind of set them against the context of Libra. Um, the first one being um, story on Coindesk, uh, Swift yeah, have given blockchain platforms access to their global payments initiative following their trial with R3. And of course, um, Swift, as many people know, is the uh, interbank network, the messaging system that banks use to uh, kind of effectively instruct payments between themselves. Um, and GPI is designed to solve one of the main problems is that like sending emails between um, you and me, um, I don't know that you've done what you said you would in the email unless you say you've done it. Um, so GPI is designed to kind of give me uh, more system-based process tracking, especially if I email you, you email somebody else and they email somebody else, you end up in this ABCD scenario where A doesn't know what D is doing. Uh, so GPI is designed to solve that. So you, we find this position in which, uh, you know, Swift is is seen as often the the stodgy old incumbent, and crypto's going to get rid of it. But you know they they've really made a made a move here. What were your thoughts uh, when when you see this? I, I I think it's cool. I mean, put it put it in the context of what I just said previously. I mean, there is what's trying to happen in the world of this permissionless thing, and then there's a banking upgrade uh, that needs to happen, and. The, the blockchain discussion isn't the only discussion happening. Uh, there's lots of things going on. We, we mentioned Swift. I saw news yesterday or late last week about the EU is trying to create uh, an instant payment system within the euro. Um, the world isn't standing still inside of finance as much as you know the crypto world would like to think that they are. Um, there are a lot of things on the back end of banks that need to be upgraded, but this is kind of the, the regulators and the connection agents uh, coming in with big prongs trying to push them forward on it. And I think it'll it'll take a lot of what we're trying to do in the permissionless land of speeding things up, uh, and it'll kind of challenge the economics of what they're doing. And you'll come back to, as I, again, as I said, censorship resistance will happen in that world. Whereas in this other world, we'll be able to just say, look, at the end of the day, do I want to be able to send from France to Simon in London uh, seven cents for, I don't know what, uh, printing out a piece of paper, but be able to do it instantaneously through something that looks like an SMS? Yeah, that's what I want. And if the bank offers me that service for free, I'd probably use that. Yeah, that consumer side is critical, isn't it? Um, the next story was um, coming from the block, and JP Morgan are apparently going to start their uh, JP Morgan coin trials very, very soon, citing high client demand. And again, the timing of this one doesn't surprise me, um, given there's probably a need to get something out based off what uh, the Facebook announcement. So this broke on the 25th of June. So uh, Tuesday, as you're listening to this, um, and actually, you know, this is a token pegged to the US dollar. Um, JPM coin will apparently speed up securities trading considerably. Um, and the head of Treasury Services and Blockchain said the coin will provide clients with instant bonds delivery in exchange for cash. So you know, very much aimed at an institutional market. But I think the timing of this one struck me as, as really, really interesting, given you can imagine the amount of banks that uh, on the back of the Libra news were sort of saying, what are we doing? What are we doing on this? Uh, I can only imagine what it's like if you're the DLT person at a bank right now. Oh, and I got lots of questions from them. Uh, shitting themselves is what they're doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
This is it, right? But then the next story was IBM unveiling the second version of Fabric, so Fabric 2.0, which comes with a suite of tech upgrades. And, and to foreshadow this, we will have uh, Brian Bellendorf from uh, Hyperledger talking us through this one in an interview in the coming weeks. So um, I'm not going to go into all of the detail on that one now. Um, and then, of course, um, story from the block, um, Digital Asset have started to look at enterprises as they've rolled out a more widely compatible uh, app software. So they are um, taking their smart contract programming language, digital asset um, modeling language, DAML, and they're integrating it with Fabric, R3, Corda, and Amazon's AWS Aurora. That one struck me as really, really interesting. Um, so they're basically saying this ability to use uh, a contract scripting language or this, this scripting language uh, could be usable uh, to a whole bunch of financial services and other applications uh, outside of just being attached on top of a DLT. So like major developments in the world of DLT in the past week. You got cryptocurrencies on one side and you got bank upgrades on the other. Both are worthwhile. Both are very different. Uh, and I guess... This is a real pivot for Daml. The new CEO, uh, Yuval Roos, has, has kind of positioned them quite differently to where they were maybe six months ago. Um, they're, you know, they're, they're making an increased amount of partnerships. They're seeing themselves as something that's in that mix of enterprise solutions that you would, you would use to solve a problem uh, and really seeing Daml as, as the center of, of what they're offering. Uh, and it's, you know, I remember talking to uh, Lee Brain from Barclays four years ago now, and he said that you could imagine a space in which there is a design pattern at which lots of organizations do the same things internally. If we could figure out a way to make those more consistent, that would be really, really valuable. And one way to make them more consistent is to centralize them. But there are some things that make no sense from a governance or legal standpoint to centralize. So we just kind of have to do those processes ourselves. So how do we enforce that consistency? Well, there's a whole bunch of things you need to do that, one of which is a domain-specific language for, for this kind of modeling and for financial services. So, you know, DAML is a piece of it rather than trying to do all things to all people. Do you think we'll see more of this in the DLT space as people, as, as things play out, that not everybody's trying to be all things to all people? I, I, yeah, I think, and I mean, this one was quite uh, foreseeable, I think, for a while. Uh, digital asset made very good headway with ASX, which is awesome. Um, but you know, a lot of the other things, it kind of became clear that, you know, maybe they can just focus on something, and and rather than creating another tech stack that needs to plug into everything else, uh, why not just try to figure out where your value is? And and I see Daml or something else like that, kind of broadly speaking, as like an API for organizational processes. Um, you know, we, we went through previously in financial services, at least in capital markets, a lot of mutualization of services like back office and middle office pro processes. This seems like a pretty natural way to say, hey, you know, if we all just agree to conform to these types of processes, we can just have essentially an API for, for processes and, and humans to a certain extent uh, where something's happening in the background the same way everywhere. So in the week that Libra launched, we saw uh, a real spike in the prices of crypto. Um, we've seen the announcement of Swift and R3 um, having, you know, kind of ha having a successful trial and giving blockchain platforms access to GPI. We've seen JP Morgan announcing that they're going to start their coin trial soon. We've seen IBM unveiling Fabric 2.0, and we've seen a, a, an announcement of a pivot from uh, Daml. Where do you think the DLT 
teach spaces generally post this announcement? Do you think that um, there's there's uh, a fear that the DLT space will will wane and sort of disappear? Will it go more into enterprise solution selling? Like, what do you think it is? I, I think it will just be boring that people won't want to talk about it, and that's success. Like, how often do we really tell talk about you know are there are there podcasts? Maybe there are that talk about you know like cloud implementations. Um, at the end of the day, like my my thesis has always been, when blockchain or enterprise DLT is successful, we won't talk about it because it'll be just so goddamn boring. And like, yeah, th- there will be the geeks among stuff, and I would consider myself in there that will be interested in this stuff, but people won't listen to it on a podcast because it is just that goddamn boring. But it's getting really credible when you can start using DAML on top of AWS Aurora. And actually, you, you're starting to think more about design patterns and orchestration for a service um, that, that are usable regardless of whether you're operating across multiple entities. You're like, just, you could use that whatever you're building. So there's a whole bunch of things that start to start to get really, really interesting for just an enterprise architect to start taking a look at these things. And, and that's, that's that sign that it's beginning to cross over. When, when this is something that's just sitting in Amazon Web Services and as a tool that I might use, um, you know, like alongside, uh, you know, the emergence of infrastructure as code, alongside the emergence of a whole bunch of things in, in the past sort of few years, Kubernetes, Kafka, uh, containerization, all of those things that have now become normal, as you were saying, this could be another one of those things. And actually, that's a sign it's maturing. But that's one side of the story. The other side of the story is there's probably still a lot of boards out there going, what's my Libra strategy? So what, what have you got any fun anecdotes as to what you've heard in the past couple of weeks? I mean, I, this is a pivot that's been going on for a while. Like we've been talking about tokens and digital assets. It's, you know, we go from talking about blockchains and, and enterprise DLT as processes and common processes and synchronization to assets, new forms of assets that's that's the sexy part that's left in there for enterprises and these enterprise tokens or whatever you want to call them um, where you're actually using a new box and a new form of technology that has different aspects to hold forms of value or create new forms of value is pretty cool and i think that that will be the sexier part of all this um, but it might not be the part that makes a ton of money in the near term so what should people in banks and what should people anywhere in financial services do post libra what what, what are the first three things they should be doing uh, talking to their regulators, understanding what's going on, understanding what's out there, because first of all, um, I think a lot of people have come in and assumed that you know what's been launched is a, is a full-fledged project. I mean, I don't know if anybody else listening to this has actually tried to set up uh, their testnet. It doesn't do very much. Like It only has like four or five functions, um, and it can't really connect very well across uh, different blockchains. It's, it's not really a blockchain. Um, but you know, I, I think it has big ideas and the technology could be really cool. The way that they've designed it is, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of an idiot on these things, but is quite logical. Um, so you know, maybe there's something that comes out of the technology, even if Libra fails and hey, that's not, that's not horrible either. Um, but uh, I, I don't see why using some of these ideas to connect into other processes and what else is going on is negative. But I, I also think an even more important is for banks to be on the forefront and understand exactly what's happening, try to talk to regulators, try to understand how this will impact them, and try to see what the learnings and why they're trying to do this exactly, and what the downstream implications might be if it ever takes off. Because, you know, I still think the probability is low, but the impact is high. There you go. Um, already. Um, and then over time, that could change as well. Stories we didn't have time to cover this week. Uh, BNP's 
BNP Paribas VentureArm have backed a $16.5 million round for a startup called Token. Um, the block, IBM's blockchain team reportedly spared the worst of the firm's layoffs as it redoubles its DLT effort. Uh, and uh, Bloomberg uh, line are near an approval of a Jap uh, Japanese license for being a crypto exchange. All right, now it's time for Twitter of the Week, or, well, actually, it's a website, but hit the jingle anyway. Tweet, 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 tweet. It's the Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week. This week's Website of the Week uh, is actually the next web. They wrote an article about uh, how apparently 98% of Bitcoin Satoshi's vision, or BSV, uh, comes from a weather app. Apparently, that network has nothing to do with the cryptocurrency. In fact, pretty much all of its current on-chain activity comes from weathersv.com, an automated weather service that simply copies data from another weather site and writes it to the BSV blockchain. Pretty cool, huh? Um, and uh, didn't the market cap of Bitcoin BSV just hit something like $4.5 billion? Something like that. I mean, all, all of the valuations in this are all over the place. I, I think that the, they're actually referring to a website that, that people were talking about called trends.cash. Um, so I'm, I'm logged into it in front of my, in front of it. And there's like 99.9% um, .9 of all transactions today have been done with this weathersv.com. And they're essentially just downloading stuff out of like weather websites like AccuWeather, wherever else, and just dumping that data into the blockchain so it can be traced back. Maybe that will add value to somebody at some point. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Um, but it certainly isn't a functioning money, which I think is where they're trying to go. Um, but the other thing they pointed out is like they've got a tab in here about active users and like the active users in some of these apps is like 10, 20 a day. Like, is that really something that you'd be looking at the daily active users or the value going through or what's going into this thing and going, yeah, that thing should definitely be worth billions of dollars. Hmm. It's hard to say. Isn't None it? of this is investment advice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It I think uh, we talked about crypto growing up, maybe, but there's still uh, there's still room for growing up in some of the space. It's still the wild west, and definitely be very very careful. Do your own research and and uh, seek financial advice before you do anything with your money, and don't take our word for it, please. Um, Alrighty, uh, just to remind listeners, this podcast is brought to you by the fine, fine folks at 11FS, and we are a challenger consultancy working to shape the next generation of financial services. We create digital propositions. We work with banks, big techs, and all kinds of companies who want to get the most out of where finance meets customers. If you want to hear more Blockchain Insider every single Thursday, do hit the subscribe button. If you want to hear more of Colin putting the fear of God up of uh, the bankers, then definitely do that. That would be awesome. And Colin, if people want to get more from you where can they find out more about you on twitter at colin g platt and you can find me at sy taylor on twitter um big big thank you to our amazing production team here at 11fs producers laura petra hannah and of course alex and michael our editors thank you for listening we will have more blockchain insider next week goodbye <laughs>